welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 159, for Saturday the 29th of June, 2019. Coming up this week, I'll let you know how advertising a sci-fi story in a horror promo worked out for me at this week's BookBub featured deal. I'll be reviewing my quarter two goals for 2019. I'm revealing the cover for my forthcoming collaboration with Adam Nichols, and I'll have a writing update for you on Now You See Her. It's going to be a long one today, I think, so you might want to grab some Horlicks and settle down. I'll do this as a two-parter with a little bit of music in between, because I'm going to give you this week's diary updates, let you know what I'm up to, and there's quite a lot to tell you. And then, of course, I'll run through my quarter two goals for 2019 and let you know how many of those that I managed to achieve. First, though, as ever, let's go through this week's word count. And after I spoke to you last Saturday on the diary, I wrote 5,300 I beg your pardon, 5,232 words on Sunday, the 23rd of June. And then in the last 10 minutes, I've closed down Scrivener, I've closed down Novel Factory, and I've just finished writing 5,209 words. So nearly 10,500 words written in the past week. And I will be writing tomorrow, which is Saturday as I'm recording this, another 5,000 words tomorrow, and another 5,000 words on Sunday, the 30th. I'm now in a situation, having got last week's jollifications out of the way, where I will be writing 15,000 words a week. And I think it is, have I got a four-day writing week? No, I don't. It is actually going to be 15,000 words a week for the next four weeks to get this book finished. And this, of course, is the collaboration with Adam Nichols, which is now you see her. So as well as writing at the moment, I should say, by the way, before I continue, that the writing is going well. The story's just uh, flowing. So I've literally just written my 5,000 words today. It's helping a lot to have the planning done. I actually, I got started a little bit later than I normally would today. I had some bits and bobs that I needed to do, and I thought I'd better do those before I write. But I really, the minute my wife's out the door, generally, I like to sit down and write because I don't want to get distracted. But for various reasons, I've been doing things. I didn't get started writing until I think it was about 10.30, just after 10.30 today, which is almost a writing, a 1,700 word writing session already passed by the time I sat down. But I, I, when I get a bit anxious like that and think, oh, have I got time? Have I got time? I want to get this writing done before my wife gets back. I jotted it down on a piece of paper and worked out that I could write 10.30 to 11.30, get a cup of tea, write 11.45 till 12.45, have a bit of lunch, then write one till two. And that would leave me with plenty of time. So if I ever have a little bit of a panic like that, I write the times down. I also do that on Sundays because my wife works on a Sunday, but she works funny hours. So she works from 12 till four on a Sunday and that's completely out my normal rhythm. So just to get my head around it, I always write down the time slots that I will be doing my writing in just to know that I can get it done. So for instance, I've already jotted down on my planning sheet that Sunday's writing will be 11.45, which is when she leaves for work, 11.45 till 12.45, one till two, 2.15 till 3.15. And that means I know that even though I'm slightly out of routine, I'm going to get that writing done within the allocated time. So as well as writing this week, I've been editing and it's actually been a, a very pleasant editing week this week because I'm working through the books that I've now taken off sale and that I'm going to be re-releasing. So I've been working on Dead of Night this week. And the first thing I've got to tell you about Dead of Night was, you know, I've been agonizing about the title of Dead of Night. I just haven't been happy with that title. I've decided, I had a look at the reviews last week and, you know, I said to you that I've, I I used this little technique of of teasing Dead of Night at the back of the final Don't Tell Meg story. So I've been teasing the first chapter of that book in The Forgotten Children. And I hadn't realised, because I don't look at my reviews very often, but I've actually got, not not a lot, but I've got a fair number of good reviews on that book now. So they're all four and five stars, and uh, people seem to like it. Uh, I always felt that it was a, a pretty easy book to read there's nothing difficult about it it's just non-stop action really um so having seen the reviews that I've got and thinking "Mm, I'd like to hang on to those they're all right um and also struggling with the title 
I've also had two communications. The first one I mentioned to you last week was from uh, John Cronshaw, who said, you realize that you can take your, your book off and, and republish it under a different ASIN number, uh, and that still counts. And I, I, I did realize that. I had forgotten it, but I did realize it. But somebody else also contact, contacted me this week, and I'll mention that email a little later on in the diary, saying, um, you, you know, it's, pay, it's painful to hear you struggling about this title. Don't Don't stop using titles that you want to use. Um, so I do really want to burn the bridges on who to trust, one fatal error, and the other one, <laughs> burden of guilt. You know, one of these days, I'll give you a list of books. I'll remember all the titles without pausing. Um, so I, I'm happy to change the titles on this. I do like the titles they had, but I am good to those books. I just never did anything with them. They've not got reviews of them. I'm quite happy to, to sort of burn them down to the ground and, and raise them up again like the Phoenix. So that's what I'm going to do with those three books, and I'm happy with the titles I've got. But um, with Dead of Night, I am sticking with the old title. I am going to republish it under a new ASIN um, with this with the old title. And I am then going to ask Amazon to carry the reviews over to the new release because I'd like to keep those reviews. They're good. So it's been um, nice reading that book. I can't remember when I wrote it. It must be about 2015, 2016. I haven't come back to it for some time. But as I said to you earlier, it used to be written as 10 chapters and each chapter had three sections. I've now divided it up into separate chapters. So I think it, it tallies out at about 31, 32 chapters, I think. I've enjoyed uh, reading the story. Interestingly, I have spotted some errors in there, um, even though it's been published for a while, even though it's we've all been raking over it. Um, and nobody's actually mentioned those in reviews, I don't think. I'll have to double check, actually, but I don't think anybody's mentioned them in reviews. Um, but I did spot a few. So um, I, it's given me an opportunity to put those right. Um, I have changed one or two words, one or two things, because coming back to the story cold, I'm reading it as a reader would read it. And I'm just thinking, mm, little sentence in there just to give a bit more clarity. So um, it really is tiny little polishes now rather than a big car wash experiment. But I do feel like those little changes have improved the book ready for its re-release. And I've been doing two chapters a night because it's been pretty light work. There hasn't been a lot to change. And I will be doing the final two chapters of Dead of Night uh, this evening after I've finished recording and processing this podcast episode. So Dead of Night will then be finished as a read. And uh, that's all ready for re-release at that point. And so next week, when I move on to my edits, um, this is something, I think I did this, I'm trying to remember whether I did this with John and James's books. I don't think I even did that then. But if I'm going to get these books out um rapid release them and have them all ready for the dates i'm going to have to edit the books as i'm writing them so I haven't given haven't given myself the chance to get up to twenty thousand words now of now you see her from next monday when i'll actually be up to thirty thousand words i'm actually going to start coming into it to edit it while i'm writing it so on monday next week first of july i'll be editing the first five thousand words of now you see her and on tuesday the next uh, the next five thousand so i'll be up to the i'll, I'll have edited the first five fifteen thousand words of now you see her when i'm writing between 35,000 words and 45,000 words next week. But the way I've scheduled it, I just needed to give myself a head start so I could write enough for me to edit, which is why I edited Dead of Night this week to stay productive. But I am, because I need to get the book out to Adam fast, uh, basically it's barely going to touch the sides. When I stop writing it on Sunday the 21st of July, I will then have caught up with myself and will edit literally after I've written the, t the last 5,000 words I'll be editing those 5,000 words and that book's then going to go off to Judy Cordner to edit and to Adam to edit so it's not going to touch the sides which is why I have to do this on an ongoing basis and there's another book I think when I get later on in the rapid release phase I think the two um, Morecambe Bay books that I'm going to write as that series I think I'm going to have to edit those as I go along too so I've never quite done it as intensively as this but it all works well um, I'll, I'll be editing as I run through but it's the only way the book's going to get out on time and I'm going to be editing something in the evening it might as well be the book I'm writing on so that's quite exciting that all starts next week I start on Monday the 1st of July editing the book that I'm writing on and I will be up to 30,000 words of this book by the time uh, Sunday is over 
Um, incidentally, I've got Bill Cocos who's coming in. Thanks, Bill. I saw you'd been in the document this week. Bill's popping in. He's got the shared document. And Bill is doing sense checks on my writing. Um, interestingly, Bill, I noticed you can't resist doing a little bit of editing. I, I said to Bill, look, this is draft one. It's full of errors. Uh, you know, you don't don't feel you need to edit it. I know it's full of problems because I haven't even come through it yet. That's why I start on Monday. Um, but Bill's going through it and um, he's looking primarily for uh, Americanisms to make sure I've got the language and the terminology correct. I'm really grateful for you doing that, uh, Bill. I'm looking at the changes thinking, you know, yeah, brilliant, fantastic. That's just what I need. So thank you for doing that. I've noticed you can't resist changing a few things that I've got wrong. Try and resist it because uh, I know it's wrong. You've literally got a stream of consciousness in that document. I don't think I've ever let anybody see, other than my wife, no one has seen my writing as raw as that. I mean, what you get to look at, Bill, when you look at the next bit of writing is literally what I've just finished writing 10 minutes ago. So you're seeing really raw writing. Um, but I, I really appreciate what Bill's uh, doing. And of course, because Bill's slightly ahead of me too, he's coming into the document just after I've written it. It also means that when I do my edit, my, I start my edit on Monday, that Bill will have made his changes too by that stage. So, it, you know, the, t the timing obviously is quite crucial with all of this, but it's, it's working really well. I do appreciate uh, what you're doing, Bill. It's really adding some value um, to the text. I'm very grateful for it. So that's my kind of writing and editing update this week. Um, of course, it's been a book bub. I had a book bub on Tuesday. I've almost forgotten about that with all this work that's going on. Um, and if you remember, it's The Secret Bunker 1. It's the first book bub I've ever had on The Secret Bunker. So I'm delighted just to have any book bub. But if you remember, when book bub said, oh, you've got this promo, they said, with our, based upon our experience, we want to put this in horror and not sci-fi. Now, I completely disagree with that. It should, my view, it should either be in YA, dystopian, preferably YA, dystopian, or sci-fi. It's fine in any of those categories. I really would not put it in horror. That's my feeling with it. Um, I, I know it's kind of end of the world apocalyptic stuff, but it's not, it's sci-fi. I'm sorry, but it's sci-fi. I wrote the blasted thing. I should know. Anyhow, I'm happy to bow to their better judgment and it's gone into the horror category. So let me give you some numbers for this. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to compare this. Uh, I've had three days of results now and I'm going to compare this with three days of results for the grid, which is the book that is most like the secret bunker. There's very little point in me comparing it with thrillers. So I'm trying to compare like with like, just so I can give you an indication of its performance. So on the day that BookBub ran the promo, I got rid of 14,053 free copies of The Secret Bunker 1. Now, if you compare that with The Grid 1, which I had a BookBub promo on in October 2018, on that day of the promotion, I got rid of 19,130 free copies of the grid one. So we're about 5,000 copies down in the horror promo. Now, what I have to hope is that people who picked up the book did at least some due diligence about it. So they, they read the blurb, they worked out whether it was for them. Because what I'm nervous of getting here is reviews that said, pick this up in a horror promo, no vampires, no Frankenstein's monster, no werewolves, it's a load of trash. That, that's what I'm worried about getting. So I'm worried about the book being targeted to the wrong audience, people not really taking a lot of care over downloading it because it's free, and then expressing that in review, saying, why on earth was this in horror? It's completely the wrong book, because I agree with them. It is completely the wrong book to be in horror. But I've, I'd rather have the promo than not have the promo, because The Secret Bunker's never had that kind of impetus that a book book could give it. So... I've gone with the flow. I'm bowing to BookBub's judgment and I'll reserve judgment, my judgment on it for a little bit longer. So 14,000 compared with 19,000 downloads for sci-fi, which is where the grid was placed and where I would have preferred the secret bunker to have been placed. Now, at the time of recording this, I could only give you three day number comparisons, but I did the numbers. I looked at the, um, the, the, the sort of the income and the downloads and I'm running at 77% of what I did on the grid one. So with the income comparison, I've made 77% of what I made in a three-day period on, and this is only Amazon, by the way, I've dis disregarded Publish Drive and Draft the Digital with this. I've only looked at the Amazon income. I've made 77% of my income. Now, if I then extrapolate that, I know this is, this is like a maths lesson, isn't it? But if I extrapolate that over the next month, the month after the promo, 
if I make 77% of the income that I made on the grid, then it should bring me in about £1,300 over the next month. That's 70%, 77% of what the grid BookBub promo brought me in. So if I make that or anywhere near it, that's going to pay for my seven new covers to get done for rapid re-release. So um, three days in, I, I can tell you that it's not as good as the grid one. It's way off the grid one and the secret bunker, the the, um, the sort of sci-fi books. Um, it's about probably two thirds what the thrillers do for me. So with the thrillers, I think I'm getting something like 25 to 30,000 downloads on a promo day. So sci-fi is not as good as thrillers, but um, the grid one did better than the secret bunker one did. But I should, as you know, that the whole target of this is obviously I want to get a little bit of traffic on the secret bunker. It's never had that level of promo before. Um, but the whole aim of this book, Bub, is I want to be able to take the funds out from income to be able to pay for seven new sci-fi covers, which I can then use to enable me to rapid release my science fiction books, my seven science fiction books. Now, I exclude John and James's book from that because that's not part of that secret bunker universe but the ever other seven books I've written and potentially if I ever write them there's another three um, based around time travel there are in that series potentially 10 books there's seven written um, and I but I could launch those books as they are and write the other three whenever I want to really um, so if I can get those covers done if I can pay for those covers um, and it is going to be a little bit hit or miss because it has obviously generated some income, but not as much, not as cleanly as a promotion with a thriller like with Don't Tell Meg would have done. So, yeah, it was um, I've got the numbers. So I thought I hadn't put the numbers on, actually. So uh, the grid made me in the month uh, one thousand seven hundred and forty one pounds. Um, if estimates are correct, this will make me one thousand three hundred and forty pounds, a thousand of which I want to use for the covers and three hundred. I'm going to skim off for something else, which I'm not I'm not going to say it's for a, a personal uh, use related to the business. Um, I won't mention what that is, but um that's that's my target for this book. 1,300 would suit me fine. And incidentally, I've discounted draft the digital income from that. So I can tell you that also this week, um, my you've probably heard me moaning that my Kobo income for all time still hasn't reached a thousand pounds yet. And we're tantalizingly close to the thousand pound mark. I think we're about 18 pounds away from hitting that um thousand pound total on Kobo so um, bearing in mind probably that all my books in, in, for the next six months to year while I'm doing all this rapid release are probably about to go into KDP select it would just be really nice for this finisher completer that I am to be able to breach that thousand pound point in Kobo so I'm hoping that over the next couple of weeks while I'm getting this lovely um, evergreen tale from promoting the secret bunker on BookBub. I'm hoping that it creates just enough income to squeeze over the thousand pound line because at that point I'll be switching off all my books on Kobo. I'll just make sure I've got the tail end of this promo, which is usually probably with a sci-fi, it'll only be an, um, another month. So I'll probably let it run for two months and then I'll start to, um, un if I've got enough money to do the the covers, I'll probably start to unpublish those books at some point, certainly from wide and just leave them on Amazon. And then I'll unpublish the lot of them. I don't know when yet, if I'm going to do a rapid re-release, but at some point they'll all get unpublished, probably a little, little later in the year. I'm guessing maybe September, October. I'd like to try to get another, another BookBub promo on the grid before I do that. And um, the grid I can promote again on the 25th of July. So I would like to just get another BookBub certainly on the grid in that time if I can just to boost my income so I'll probably let my grid promo trigger when I unpublish those sci-fi books if I this is assuming I can get another promo on the grid so um my draft to digital income having almost flatlined uh, so remember draft to digital income for me is Barnes and Noble and it's Apple. And I've done really well on Apple this week. I say really well, not in income terms, but in chart terms. So my draft the digital income was about to flatline because I don't have any thrillers on draft the digital. All my thrillers have been either delisted now 
um, and don't tell Meggie's in KDP Select at the moment. So all those sales have gone. Um, and then of course now I've just, uh, so, so my residual sales of the grid are very low at the moment. They're just tick, 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 nothing very good. So my draft of digital was about a flat line uh, again, which is how it was before I started all of this book bub promotions. But then, of course, this now I've had this promotion, it's back right up again. I'm having really good earnings days on Draft the Digital. And just to give you a sense of, of how well this promo did, and it's terrible because I know if you're listening to this and you've never done a, you've never released a book before, or you've never got a book bub before, I, I, I do apologize because this is my fourth book bub. If I sound a little blase about this or world weary, uh, not, well, where is not the word bla- blase. I don't want you to think I'm being blase about this because I, I've kind of got used to this now and I want to move my, the, my personal lead. I know this is a big deal. I know this is exciting, but I don't get excited by it anymore because I, I, I've done it before and I, I want to break new territory now. Um, so I had a number one release in my three categories in the UK and the USA charts on Amazon. So, uh, the secret bunker one was number th- one in, all of its charts, which is something like sci-fi, I think they're dystopian, and maybe military sci-fi too. So uh, I was number one in all my categories in the UK and the USA. And I'm sorry, I know this is awful, but I didn't even look in the other categories. I I, I only really care about the USA and the UK because that's where my income comes in from. Now, uh, my wife has a Mac, so it's very easy for her to look at the Apple charts. Virtually impossible for me with a PC. I honestly can't believe, don't, don't say it, Paul. I, I don't understand why people like Macs. I hate the things. Um, so I'm unable to check the charts, but my wife has been sending me screenshots of the charts. And I've said this about Apple before. You know, I know that I'm not making that much money from Apple. It's much more money than I ever usually make, but it's not that much money. And uh, it's not life-changing money. Yet when you're on the Apple charts, you get to rub shoulders. I've rubbed shoulders with Douglas Adams this week. I think, is it um, Andy Weir? And I was even on a chart with, um, what's the thing on Netflix at the moment that everybody's getting excited about? Oh, I can't remember. It's, um, it's a big book. It's the one about one of them's, what is one of them a fallen angel? One of them's an angel. You know, the one with David Tennant, that one. I can't remember what it was. Oh, omens, something omens. Sorry. It's not, it's not my sort of thing. I'm afraid my wife loves it, but it's not my sort of thing. Good omens, is it? That one. So I was even on a chart with that book this week. All right. So, so clearly for screenshots and, and, and positioning, those are nice screenshots to have. It's like when I do thrillers and I get into the charts on Apple. You know, I'm I'm, I'm next to Lee Child and all, you know all sorts of big authors. But you know, I know I know that's no big deal because I, I I'm not making that I'm not making anywhere near as much money as they are. That's that's be you know very sure about that. But it does make a nice screenshot, and I appreciate that. So in the Apple charts, um, I was number two on the free sci-fi charts. And I was number 12 with The Secret Bunker 2, number 12 in the paid charts, the paid sci-fi charts. And that's where I was on a chart with Good Omens. Incidentally, I don't know whether you still listen to the podcast. Uh, John Heinmarsh, who's a uh, an indie author pal, I sent John a little tweet this week because uh, John had done really well. I think he was he was right next to Good Omens, his book. I think he was either two or three in the chart and I was at 12. And it's really nice when you're on a chart like that with one of your pals uh, who I was, I noticed I was on a chart with John Cronshaw briefly the other day, um, in a sci-fi chart. Uh, we, we were sharing a chart. John, you were higher than me, by the way. Uh, and, um, where else was I? Yeah, it's nice. Just nice when you sort of on a chart and you can send a, uh, an indie author pal a note and say how nice to be on a chart with you. So, you know, all of those things are lovely. Uh, and I'm very happy with them, but I, the whole thing for me is about moving the needle on. Um, so, you know, I've done that before. I know I can do that with a book bub. Uh, it's very, very exciting the first couple of times you do it. And I still get a thrill from being able to take a screenshot when I'm next to all these massive authors. I, I still get a little thrill about that. And it's obviously, it's very good for advertising and, you know, making you look like you're a slightly bigger author than you are. But, but I know the truth. And the truth is I'm not making as many sales as I'd like to. And that's not as good as I'd like to do. So, you know, I want to have a six figure year. That's what I want to have. When I have a six figure year, then I'll feel happy. Or I'd like to have a five figure month. Either of those two parameters would make me happy because that's moving the needle for me. And I appreciate that wherever you are in your journey, you might just say, oh, that's all right for you, Paul. I'd be quite happy with a hundred dollar month or a $500 month or my first thousand dollar month. But we're all kind of where we are in the journey. And where I am in my journey is not that I'm ungrateful to be doing that, but I need to be 
pushing things on. I've been doing this for a while now. And if I don't keep push, 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 if I don't keep pushing, I'm not going to improve. And that, of course, is why I'm doing the rapid release to try and move the needle for me. So um, we'll we'll wait and see. Uh, we'll wait and see how it goes. But um, I'm not unhappy with that. My objective with this is not to get terrible reviews saying, where was Frankenstein's monster in this horror book? Uh, you said the secret bunker. You know, there were no vampires sleeping in there. That's what I'm hoping not to get because I've been promoted in the horror category. Uh, and I know I'm stereotyping horror terribly there. You can tell it's not my genre. I was brought up on, on Hammer House of Horrors. That's my knowledge of horror, I'm afraid. It's not really my kind of thing. My wife loves it, but it's not my thing. Um, you know that, and uh, and I want to make the money for those covers. That's really my objectives with this. So if I if I hit those objectives, I'm happy with that. It's 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 done what I wanted it to do. So in other author news, I interviewed Jerry Evanoff for the podcast on Sunday. Uh, Jerry is about to publish any day now. He's about to publish his first ever sci-fi book, and he has a podcast. The new jo- uh, Jerry, I thought I'd written this down. I write this, I thought, I'm sure I've written it down. Where is it? It's in the notes somewhere. It is the New Author Podcast. I listen to it every week. And what am I like? I can't even remember the title of it. So it's the New Author Podcast. Jerry's been doing that for, it must it feels like about half a year uh, now, Jerry. It's been quite a while, hasn't it? Um, so he's notched up a lot of episodes and he's been outlining his journey to publication. He's about to publish his first book and he's got a, um, a novella going as well to build his list. So he's been following all the principles of 20 Books of 50K, um, I can't remember. I think I know he listens to my podcast. He must have mentioned to me that he had a podcast. I listen to it. I, I just listen to it every week now. And also, he's just been joined by his sister, Lindsay. So um, they've done two episodes together now. Turns out they're both writing books. So at the point at which Jerry releases his book and is no longer, I guess, a, a new author, he's an established author. His sister, Lindsay, is writing in the romance genre. So interestingly Jerry is ahead of her he's a book ahead of her in the sausage factory and so um you know Lindsay's having all these beginner problems and got all these beginner queries so it makes a really interesting dynamic and um, I've wanted to talk to Jerry for ages because he's immersed in best practice and I, I'm all about learning best practice I've learned a lot from his podcast even though in terms of books released you know I'm just writing my 20th Jerry's just about to release his first my view is you could learn something from everybody at any time. You know, all I'm looking for is the nuggets and I don't care where they come from or who they come from. I'm always panning for gold. Um, and that, that advice could come from anybody wherever they are in their career, as far as I'm concerned. So, um, it was great talking to Jerry. Um, Jerry's interview is going to run on Monday. I'll remind you about that at the end of this podcast episode. Uh, it seems amazing that already I have a cover, the proper cover for Now You See Her. I mean, we, we'd barely agreed, <laughs> we'd barely agreed to work together. And, uh, you know, Adam Nichols has got this cover done now. It's a lovely cover. I always mock up, as you know, a, a, one of Paul's dodgy covers, because the minute I start writing a book, if you ever look at the Self-Publishing Journeys podcast website, so selfpublishingjourneys.com, and if you look at the right-hand side, you'd always see there that I have my progress work that's in editing and work that I'm writing. So I I, I knocked up one of Paul's dodgy covers, um, but it, the paint had barely dried on that when Adam sent me the proper cover for this, and I'm really happy with it. It's It's been produced by the lady who's going to do my three Walker Bay covers later on, so the three covers aren't going to be done by Stuart Beish. And um, I do love her covers. It's a really, really, I love the colouring. I love what she's done with the text. And, you know, this is this is why we need to pay people who know what they're doing with covers, because I love the colouring on that cover. I love the text on that cover. And when you look at it, if you go to the show notes for this week's episode, 159 at selfpublishingjourneys.com, I've put the cover there for you to look at. I would never in a million years have thought of alternating the text colours on on that page on that cover design but she's done that and because of the colours then she's used on the picture of the child's kite and because of the blackness of the woodland behind it just works beautifully but I'm not an artist I'm useless at art always have been and I would never have thought of that but it's such a simple concept but it works really well so I'm very very happy with the cover um, for that book uh, and I'm very also very happy that I will be trying the same artist out on my Morecambe Bay trilogy books as well. It's a great cover. Do take a look at it on the show notes this week. Um, with that in mind, I should tell you that um, I've now submitted. I, I was um, proc- not procrastinating. I, I, I was hanging out the final decision about book cover titles as long as possible. So I wasn't procrastinating. It was um, strategic deliberation 
rather than procrastination. Mainly because I, I'd said to Stuart, Stuart wasn't expecting the brief from me for the other six covers until the 1st of July. So 1st of July was my cutoff. My, my personal cutoff would have been that it was in his inbox by the 31st of July at the latest. So in actual fact, I, I, I could have sent it at the latest on Sunday, but I, I sent it to him a week ahead of what we'd both agreed that I would send it. So I was still ahead of the schedule, but I did know I had to commit. So I've ordered those Stuart Beige covers now. Stuart sent me a note to say, it's all very clear. Thank you very much. You'll just get on with it. And he'll start to send me book cover options. Now, uh, the price is less on these six covers because Stuart's not starting from scratch. I've simply said to him, I want them to look exactly like they're in the same series as Don't Tell Meg Trilogy. I want the same font. I want the same layout, the same design style. And effectively, what Stuart will now do is find a suitable image for each book, suitable graphic, and he will he will colorize it appropriately. So there's less work for him to do with this, which is why they're costing me uh, costing me less. If I was starting from scratch with these and I wanted a, a from scratch design concept for each of those six covers, it would be costing me a lot more. Um, so you do get discounts when you write in series. Um, I'm going to get a discount over the three Walker Bay covers because clearly once you've got the format, the font, the look and the feel right, you just have to replicate that over three covers. So Stuart Bache's order is in and I'm just now, uh, I will just wait for him to start coming up with designs and I'll approve them or disapprove them. I think last time when Stuart sent me covers, I think the first two I liked straight out the gate, but the third one I didn't like, I asked him to go back. And the only reason for it was is it has a, a silhouette of a, a, a female on that cover. And when I looked at the silhouette, um, the silhouette was good, but there was something going on with her hair. I don't know what it was with her hair, whether it was in some kind of a, a bunch or something at the back, but, but it, I didn't feel like it worked as a silhouette. I wanted something more in profile that you could really read easily. So I just asked him to change the picture, which he did. The uh, picture's fine now. So it was a fairly simple change to make. But um, it did, that just didn't work for me. But I, you know, immediately out the gate, I love the styling, the colorization, the format. And what I said to Stuart, as I sent him a screenshot of when the Secret Bunker trilogy, I had um, Secret Bunker, not Secret Bunker, sorry, Don't Tell Meg, book two and book three, they charted in Amazon as uh, paid for books. And when they charted as paid for books, that's when I was on the same charts as Lee Child and all the big sort of thriller authors. And I sent Stuart a screenshot and I said to him, look, one of the things I was really pleased about with your covers that when I did chart in Apple and I was alongside all those massive authors, you know, my books didn't look out of place. They didn't look cheaper as they would have done if I'd used my rubbishy covers. So they looked completely happy in that environment with all those quality covers. And that's what I liked about the last cover designs and that's what I want about the covers this time you know what I hope is that I'll get those on some charts when I really push them and I want those covers not to look out of place in a psychological thriller um, chart alongside all the kind of giants in that industry I don't want it to look like there's all these um, fabulous authors and Paul and Paul's covers look a bit dodgy you know I want them to just not stand out in any way I want them to fit in in the genre so uh, I'll let you know when those covers are done and as soon as they are available and I've, they're sort of paid for and I'm allowed to show them to you, um, I will put them on a resources page. You can take a look at them. I just must mention to you, I mentioned this last week, uh, more frustrations with Amazon's. Really, I'm, ooh, I'm getting a beer in my bonnet about this one. This is now the third book bub I've had trouble with getting Amazon to reduce the price to zero in all territories. So I had to use a VPN to check the prices in the USA and Canada and Australia to make sure that they've been set to zero. Because when you look outside the country, it doesn't always look like it's been set to zero. But when I checked India last week, uh, India had not had still not been set to zero. So I wrote to Amazon and said, look, you've told me that you set it to zero, but I still can't see India set to zero on my VPN. And that email has now gone into a void. Nobody has answered it. And so on Monday, I think it was either Monday or Tuesday, I got an email from BookBub saying, we noticed that your book has not been set to zero in all territories, India. So therefore, we will not be listing it in that territory, which is what BookBub done. At least they don't pull the promo. And I wrote them an apology. And to be fair, you know, I've, I've been I'm so impressed with BookBub because they're massive. And frankly, they could tell me to buzz off. Um, and, and, you know, I've been told to buzz off by, by lesser people. Um, but I wrote to BookBub and said, I'm really sorry. You know, I did try and get that um, price sorted, but Amazon have just let me down again, but they've just let me down and, and didn't get there in time. I got a lovely um, email back from BookBub 
there was no need for a response but they just expressed their sympathies and said you know we we appreciate your frustration we know it happens sometime we hope you have a really great promo i've been so impressed by the way they've dealt with me when i've had problems not dealing with me like some small fry who doesn't matter um and indeed you know they're so big and they make so much money you know frankly it's kind of what you expect, isn't it? But I haven't had it and I've never had it for a book, bub. Um, you know, I try to play fair with them and apologize or let them know if something's going to be late, if there's something out of my control. But I just thought it was just a really nice response to get from them, a really kind of encouraging, positive response. So, uh, you know, I have nothing but good things to say about book, bub at the moment. I thought that was really nice. But again, Amazon let me down. Um, and I, I got to warn you about this. You know, I thought this is the problem. You see, when you've got a book, bub promo, you don't want to set the price to zero too soon because it's supposed to be a price drop. But I, I got to tell you, you know, with with what I've had with Amazon, you need to be setting that price at zero. This is when you're not in KDP Select. This is when you can't do it within the KDP dashboard. This is when you have to ask them to price match. You need to be doing it three weeks, three to four weeks out to make sure you've got it done. I was, how many weeks was I out? Two weeks out? A clear two weeks out before I asked them to do it. And they have completely failed me um, to, to get it in all territories. So that's just a, a friendly word of warning to if you ever get caught in this situation. Um, so last week, I last weekend, I can't remember what made me think about it, but I had delisted all my books, but I went into my Amazon Author Central accounts, and I only have those in the UK and the USA. And I thought, what I want to do now having delisted my books. I don't want my books to show on my author profile. And what got me thinking about this is, if you listen to that interview I did with Adam Nichols, when I was interviewing Adams, there's a little part of the interview there where I say, oh, you know, I can still see your books as Adam Nichols, but they're not tied to your author profile. And I realised how he'd done that uh, over the last weekend. I've been sort of trying to figure out how he'd done it. And then I realised how that had occurred. The reason that it occurred is he detached them the old versions of the books from his author profile and then brought the new versions of his books into his author profile so that when you go and search on his author name, it just brings in the books that he wants. And of course, the old paperbacks, which I think that um, Amazon continues to list, even if you delist them, they still have a kind of record there in Amazon. Um, you know, they, they were kind of hovering in cyberspace, but weren't connected to his author name. So what I did at the weekend, I funny, you know, having just moaned to you about Amazon, I expected this to be hard. and It was really easy. They did it straight away. I asked them to delist um, or sorry, I asked them to manually detach all those books I've now delisted from my Amazon author profile, and they did it straight away. So if you look at my, if you look at Paul J Teague on Amazon now, you'll see that the only books that I have next to my author name, which are linked by Amazon Author Central, are now don't, the Don't Tell Meg trilogy. There's no. Uh, there will be on Amazon somewhere, but there's no record against my author name about those books that I've written. And that absolutely suits me because what will happen next is those books will be, uh, you know, released with new names or as with, as it is now dead of night, it's going to be re-released with a new ASIN. As I release those books, I will pull them into my author name. And then when you look at my thriller author name, you only see the books I want you to see. You won't be confused by old versions of books that have been unpublished. And I've never done that before. And it was a lot easier than I thought. I had to write manually for each book and say, please, will you detach this from my author profile? So I, I did it with about, you know, four or five books, whatever it was. And uh, it was done very quickly. And of course, now my thriller profile, it looks depressive because it used to be a great line of books. And now there's just the, the Don't Tell Meg trilogy there. And depending on what I do with that book, you know, they might not be there at some point. I, I hope there'll be some kind of overlap on that author name. Um, but yeah, I learned a new trick there, which I've never had calls to do before. I did mention two weeks ago that I've been reading Craig Martell's rapid release book, and I do recommend this to you. I, I bought the Kindle. I'm just, um, I, I've been quite slow with it, uh, I'm afraid, because I was trying to read, I wanted to finish an Adam Nichols book just so that I could be sure of his style, his house style, while I'm writing Now You See Her. So I, I got that finished and I've been reading through Craig's book uh, this this week. But as you know, I'm quite busy at the moment. I haven't got a lot of reading done. But I did get to the crucial bit of Craig's book where he, he goes through all the different rapid release cycles. And it's quite clear from that book that Craig says that 28 days is, is for, for his taste. And he, he goes through all of them and justifies them. It's, it's well worth reading. It's very interesting. Um, but he recommends 28 days as a release cycle. Um, and you know, when you're kind of reading for somebody like Craig Martell, who's like, you know, a giant, uh, of, of publishing and is doing incredibly well. And, you know, Adam said he did it one a week and I'm there thinking 28 days, once a week. 
And so what I'm going to do, I think, is I'm going to do a bit of both. With thrillers, because one a week is what Adam swears by and what's worked for him, I am going to continue one a week with the thrillers. Um, but with the sci-fis, I think I'm going to do those one a month, as Craig says. So I'm going to try both models. So if I get to re rapid re-releasing the sci-fis in the new year, then I think I'm going to try those at 28 days. And the reason I'm going to do those at 28 days is a lot of the thrillers that I'm writing are standalones. Um, until you get to the Don't Tell Meg trilogy and the Walk Bay trilogy, I'm into standalones. Now, you know, I know that last week I gave you chapter and verse on how I'm going to do this, but, and I did say to you, it's flexible. But say, for instance, I was doing one a week, and I think the first six books in my rapid re-release for thrillers are standalone. There's no reason, for instance, why I couldn't slow things down a little bit. And when I get to the Morgan Bays, say, okay, I've got another series here now. This series, the Morgan Bay series, having done six weeks of weekly rapid re-release, there's no reason why I couldn't, say, release the Morgan Bay one in week seven, and then at week seven, pause so that I do... The next, uh, Walker Bay 2, 28 days later, Walker Bay 3, 28 days later, and then come back and maybe re-release the Don't Tell Meg trilogy at one month at a time. So there's no reason why I have to stick to one a week. Um, you know, particularly if I've done one a week for the first five or six weeks, I can change that. So I am going to be monitoring all of that, but I, I do hear very loudly what Craig says. You know, it comes out loud and clear in that chapter. Craig says, I mean, he says you could do all of them and, and, you know, why you should buy the book and look at it is because he goes through each one. He says, here's the pros, here's the cons. And of course, there are different, different advantages, disadvantages, depending on where you are with it. Um, but overall, I would say that he, he, he tends to like the 28 day model best. So, um, I'm probably going to do a bit of both, to be honest with you. I just wanted to mention a couple of people who reached out to me this week before we go into my quarter two goals. Uh, and I'm going to mispronounce your surname, uh, Rob, uh, Bob, I beg your pardon. So it's Robert Buccianeri, Buccianeri, Buccianeri. I've, I've probably fouled that up, uh, Bob. Apologies for that. It's a, it's a beautiful name. What a beautiful name to use in a book. That is a name to use in a book. If I've ever seen but a, a surname to use in a book. Um, but Bob's reached out to me a couple of times and, um, he just said, I continue to listen to your podcast with fascination. Your rapid release launch is mind boggling. <laughs> I know it's deeply worrying. I would say, uh, Bob, um, and he's going to follow that with great interest. Uh, he says, your podcast has quickly become my favorite. I usually listen between my runs. It's interesting that the, the two people I'm going to mention this week, you know, I'm, I'm always a little bit wary about mentioning my part runs because I don't want to bore you with sport. I know it's so boring when people talk about this stuff when you're not interested in it. But interestingly, both people who emailed me this week uh, run, and I know a lot of the people that I talk to run. Um, so it is interesting. Uh, but I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to turn it into a part run podcast. Um, but um, Bob's writing a private investigator series. It's going well. Bob's releasing every two to three months using a pre-order strategy. And each time a new book goes live, the next goes on with a 90-day pre-order. This is, this is all great stuff. This is all best practice. And Bob was recently lucky enough to get a book, Bob, on the first in series, which is like, it's a thing of great beauty, isn't it, Bob, when you get a, a first in series. It was in KU, and that's helped Bob with the page reads, absolutely. And the books are now riding high as a result of that. And the Amazon ads that Bob is using regularly. So this is all good practice. And Bob says, I don't know what took me so long to write in a series, all right? I'm hoping to have seven finished in the series at the end of the year. I hope your rapid release is super successful. You're doing everything right and it should pay off. Bob, I really appreciate the email. I'm sorry if I mangled your surname and I hope you don't mind if I, I save that surname to use in a later book because it is a brilliant surname to use in a book. Uh, and... Uh, thank you for all the advice there. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. When I do my rapid release, I'm going to be doing, I will be using pre-orders. Um, I will be promoting the next book, which will be on pre-order when I do the luck, when I do the, when I release a book, it will pre-order the next book, which will already be available. I'm going to be doing all of those things, obviously at a tighter cycle. Um, and also obviously, um, I am, I've written thriller standalones and I am going to write one more thriller standalone only because it allows me to box set my books up. And the other thing that I'm reading, and I got this very strongly from Craig Martell's book, which I, I'm going to, again, I'm going to recommend that you buy as a must read book. 
Craig also says that box sets are brilliant and they respond, they, they do well with a different audience. So I want to make more of my box sets as well. But the reason I'm writing a last standalone is I need it, uh, I need a female-led standalone at 50,000 words so I can bundle up three of my existing books. But I'm going to, I intend to, in thrillers, write in series. And so um, just to just to allude to this, I'm writing a book for Adam Nichols that whole series that has been set up so I can write in series so if that book does well and Adam comes back to me and says I, I quite like another one in the series it will use the same characters the same town it will that that is written to be a series uh based in the states and also my Morecambe Bay trilogy I'm calling it a trilogy at the moment but that also is being set up to run as a series so I'm, I'm writing a trilogy three books in the first instance but that also could run and run what 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 I'm doing is I'm experimenting um, as a writer with the series format without committing myself to anything big time um, but potentially I'll have three series that I could write don't tell Meg was written with the characters so that will run as a series and in, in fact to my left here I have the next four ideas about what I would write in that series so I, I know what my stories would be if I continued to write in the Don't Tell Meg universe so I've got you know I've potentially I've got seven there Morecambe Bay I know what the next three books are but that could just go on and on and on and also the series that I'm writing for Adam Nichols could also go on and on so I'm very mindful that although I like box sets and although in the first instance I like to write in a trilogy, I am also, what I'm trying to get away from is books that have to be read in the trilogy. I'm moving more to all series now. And my strategy in the first instance is going to write a series that has three standalone books, i.e. a trilogy, but not one that has to be read in sequential order. So that what I'm moving towards is not having to write in sequential order. And this is what Bob's alluding to in the email. This is all good practice. And as Bob says, I don't know what took me so long to write a series. <laughs> you know, yeah, I agree, Bob. <laughs> I agree. You know, you've had exactly the same experience as me. Um, you're releasing fast. You said get a two to three month release cycle is something I could do very comfortable. I know I'm going a bit crazy at the moment, but two to three months is something I could do very easily while I'm at work. That's a very comfortable release cycle for me. Um, and, and after this crazy period, you know, as I said to you last week, I am going to give this rapid release every single thing I've got. And I know that my writing schedule is a bit stupid I know that and I've no intention of keeping that on for a long time but I can do it for a short time but I really want to thrash this you know I really want to try this but going forward you know I said to you I think my last book is written by 3rd of November I'll have a little bit of thinking time then but going forward I I would want to write books on a more sustainable level and that means I'll come back to the series and um uh, the level at which Bob's describing what the model that Bob's describing there not only reflects best practice it also reflects frankly a more sustainable long-term writing model so I'm more likely um, unless I make my 100,000 like Adam Nichols did and I can say right that's it I'm writing every I'm writing 5 days a week for the next year I'm taking money out of the business and I'm not going to work anymore I'm just going to write uh, concentrate on my author career if I get into that situation that's a different ball game because I will write five days a week uh, but if I don't if I continue to work three days a week then I will move more towards uh, Bob's model uh, basically but thanks Bob great email um, you know thank you for your kind comments also thank you for sharing your strategy and then I also got another email from Wendy Lynn Clark who writes a Starla Knight and um, Wendy was, you sounded really concerned, Wendy, that I was about to rename Dead of Night with a title that I didn't like. You, you sounded like it was almost painful for you. Um, but, but Wendy just wrote and said, basically reiterated what John had said, which is that you don't have to, you could, you could republish a book with the same title as previously and, um, and was just going through that. And uh, I wrote back to say, do you know what? It's funny that you should write now because I have actually decided to do just that. I, I am going to still call it Dead of Night because I cannot find a title that I'm happy with. And I love the title Dead of Night. It describes the book pr precisely. And um, so as you do, I get a little email exchange going when I reply. And I found out that we have a star in our midst. Um, Wendy Lynn Clark writing a Starla Night uh, is a six figure author. Fantastic. And, um, you, you found me, you say, because you used to listen to, where is it? The, the science fiction and fantasy marketing podcast, which is currently on a hiatus. Um, while Lindsay Baroka is, um, I think she, she just found 
she had a very tight release cycle. I think she just needed to let something go for a little while. So she stopped doing the podcast. And I think that while Wendy was looking around, um, she she found my podcast and is now listening to these diary ramblings every week. And, and for some reason, I don't know whether people just find them, um, whether they console them to hear how badly I'm doing. Uh, you know, I don't I, like a comfort blanket. I don't know. But, um, you know, Wendy's listening to them. And she says, I've recently, um, she started running again. She said, well, let, let's go back a little bit. Let's rewind it a little bit. She said, I love hearing your plans, your progress and your book craft recommendations. I've recently started running again. That's the other, you know, Bob also is running after a four year hiatus to have two kids. So even the park run updates are quite interesting. I am trying not to mention it, Wendy. He's like, don't mention park run. Um, so I'm, I'm trying not to mention park run. But if you go to the, if you are interested in what I'm doing on park run, I am keeping a little blog update. Uh, if you go to selfpublishingjourneys.com uh, and if you click on what have I called it? I think I've just called it Parkrun. If you click on about and you'll see I've got a little menu item there called Parkrun Times. I am recording my times every week. And when I'm doing a little fun run, I did a fun run in air last week in some woods. It was br- beautiful, beautiful, beautiful run. I make a little photo gallery in there. So if you are interested in the park run stuff, just just kind of head to that page. I will mention it every now and then, uh, but I don't want to make it too much of a regular thing. But I've put all my photos. You can follow it all on there if you're interested in the running stuff. Uh, but I will try and keep it out of these diaries because I know it's it's like it's so boring. It's like train spotting, isn't it? If you're not interested, it's like hearing about train spotting. So anyhow, as I said, Wendy is a superstar. Wendy, I love your covers. They are mermen covers and they are brilliant. I want to audition to be a cover model on Wendy's books. Do have a look at Wendy's website at wendylingclark.com. I'll put a link on this week's show notes. They're, they're just brilliant. I love this stuff. And um, so Wendy says it's it's fun listening to the weekly life of another writer, uh, even though we're obviously in different genres. I hope your rapid release gets you the desired visibility. Wendy just hit her first six figures earlier this year that that just that is a round of applause well done wendy oh i dream of those days that's what i'm trying to get to and what was she doing she was writing to market she was using facebook ads she was using box sets best practice everybody she was using just like bob just like i'm trying to best practice and she says that after a decade of not succeeding it's exciting Box sets are great if your audience is in KU. It's what Bob just said. It's why I'm doing box sets. This is best practice. If you're struggling, this is how you do best practice, okay? All the clues are out there. So after a decade of not succeeding, Wendy's had this this breakthrough and she's getting so many page reads. What was it I said to you about Adam Nichols? 90% of his income is coming from page reads. Now, I know, I know you know, in in my heart, I know that the best long-term strategy is not to go all in with Amazon. But you know, if I could make, if I could have a hundred k month, if I could have a half of that, uh, sorry, hundred k year or half that in a year, um, then it would allow me to take a year off work and to to double down on my writing. And if I have to get that going Amazon exclusively KU, that's what I'm going to do. And if I had that success, I would then start to look more broadly. But I, you know. I can't even think about that until I'm making the right amount of money. I'm not making the right amount of money. And so best practice is say, saying, going KU, going Kindle Unlimited. So, um, and Wendy's saying this again, and she's just hit a six figure year. And that's what I want to do. So uh, Wendy says um, she's done three successful launches at 99 pence or cents, and she's going to try 2.99 again. And um, Wendy, if you listen to this, would you just drop me a line? So when you rapid release, 99 cents, and then what you're pricing your other books at, can you just let me know what you're doing? Because I this is quite important for me. I need to know what to price them at. You're not pricing them at zero. When you're rapid releasing, you're pricing them, I think, at 99 pence or cents. Can you just let me know about that? Because I just want to be, um, you know, I just want to be sure of that. So thanks so much for getting in touch, Wendy. And I've never spoken to Wendy before. I don't think we've spoken before, Wendy. I think Bob has on one occasion. I do love getting these emails from people that we I haven't spoken to before. It's fantastic. And we have a six-figure author in our midst, everybody. Congratulations, Wendy. I mean, we all dream of that. You've done it. It's brilliant. Your books look fabulous. Please let me be a merman on your cover. Do you need a fat merman uh, on one of the covers? If you do... I'm available. Okay. <laughs> if you want to do a bit of photoshopping, I'd love to be a merman on your covers. They're just brilliant covers. I love them. Um, so do have a look at that. I'll put the link on the show notes. Okay. That's it for my author news. I did tell you it's going to be a long one. I'm at 54 minutes already and I haven't done my quarter two goals review yet. So 
if you're struggling, go and get a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, glass of water. I'm going to play the music and then we'll get on to my quarter two goals review. The second part of the diary I'm going to run through my quarter two goals but just before I do that in between when I recorded the last bit and started recording this bit I had a very interesting tweet which I want to tell you about and it's from Written Word Media those are the people behind Free Booksy and they've basically uh, tweeted me to say congratulations Paul Teague the Free Booksy team chose your book The Secret Bunker number one uh, for a complimentary feature today. Now that's very interesting number one that's never happened to me before Number two, I don't know, I'm guessing, I don't know whether it's on Twitter or whether it's on the website, I should have had a look really, but I'm guessing they're looking at people who are doing okay with BookBub promos and they're thinking, right, those people might book a free booksy, so therefore we'll give them a freebie just to get them going and that might them might get them buying us. But bearing in mind my experience recently with free booksy, what was it? Don't tell Meg I'd promoted, and I had had a very disappointed, a disappointing promotion, and they'd given me a freebie for that too. It's um, it's very interesting timing, but I just thought I'd mention that to you because it's literally hot off the press as I record this, and um, I've got a little free promo, so I'll check that out on the free booksy site and see if that's just uh, frankly a tweet, or whether it's uh, a proper promo in the email or something like that, because that'll be well worth having alongside a bookbub. Okay, with that out of the way then, let's move on to my quarter two goals. So this is a review of what I've achieved during April and June of 2019. Now, what I recommend you do is if you go to the show notes for this episode, so episode 159 at Self-Publishing Journeys of the Podcast Diary, and then it, I've put the screenshot of the of my planning board there. So as I'm talking through, it's probably easier to follow if you take a look at that graphic. So number one in the list, then, I wanted in this quarter to record three self-publishing journeys interviews, and I did that in May, June, and July. So I interviewed Kirsten Oliphant, Adam Nichols, and I also interviewed Jerry Evanoff, and Jerry you'll be hearing on Monday, of course. So I got those three interviews recorded. Uh, number two, Paul's Podcast Diary, episodes 147 to 159. Well, I'm just recording 159 now, so I've managed to achieve that as well. With Parkrun, um, I, if you listened ooh, from last September time, I'd started by wanting to do four a quarter. And then as I realized how much I loved it and how well I was getting on with it, I'm basically just doing one a week now. Um, so I wanted to get 12 park runs done in this quarter. And I've done that. I'm up to, I think tomorrow is my 23rd park run. So I'm really knocking them up now. Um, the, the other thing I haven't told you, I've been keeping this quiet because I don't want to bore you with running stuff, but I'm also actually doing a Thursday uh, running group now to try and get my time improved and obviously to tackle those weight goals. So I'm now running another five kilometers every Thursday night uh, with a local running club. And uh, last night, oh blimey, I'm just learning all the kind of runs they do around the city. And last night uh, we ran up the uh, the biggest hill I've ever run up before. So um, what I'm hoping is that running over all these different courses would improve my park run time. Very, very keen to get my Carlisle time uh, down to sub 30. So again, without giving you updates every week, uh, I will just let you know how we're going with that because it does form part of my overall yearly goals. It feels ages ago now, but um, at the beginning of that quarter in April, I was editing my military science fiction book three. So I'd given it two passes, one read, two reads, and then I'd sent it on to John and James. So those have been gone since April, and I'm hoping that we're going to be releasing those sometime in July. So maybe in the next couple of weeks, fingers crossed. Now, we always discuss doing it around 20 books time. So I'm hoping they'll be out around that time. Now, I needed to write a book in this quarter, and I did. I wrote uh, Left for Dead. So I wrote 75,000 words of Left for Dead. And also, I've started work on the second book, which is, of course, Now You See Her. And Now You See Her, by the time this quarter ends on Sunday, but um, I'm, I will have written my 30,000 words. So in this quarter, I will have written uh, 105,000 words in this quarter, which uh, sounds like quite a lot, doesn't it, when you put it that way? Is it over a million a year? It is, isn't it? If I if I wrote a hundred and no, that's nonsense. I'm talking nonsense. It's not. Ignore me. Ignore me. I'm talking nonsense. Um, I was getting excited there. Okay, number seven then. 
um, I listened to a couple of audio books that I wanted to get out of the way. I have to admit that in general, my kind of reading has not been very good in this quarter. I've read a couple of um, psychological fiction books, which I, I wanted to read because I wanted to be in the zone for writing psychological fiction. I've read uh, Adam Nichols' book. I needed to read that to get a sense of his style. And I've, I've read Craig Martell books. I've, I've, you know, as ever, I've consumed way more non-fiction. I've consumed loads of podcasts and information that way. But I have listened to three audios that I wanted to listen to. One was uh, Libby Hawker's um, plotting book. Also, the top 10 sacred cows of publishing and the top 10 sacred cows of self-publishing. So I have listened to a couple of craft books. I haven't done as much as I would have liked to with craft books this quarter. With uh, BookBub, I have submitted The Grid 1 twice and I've submitted The Secret Bunker twice. Because The Secret Bunker got a BookBub listing on the second attempt in this quarter, um, I can't now submit The Secret sorry, The Grid, for its third try, because I have to have a distance of a month between my BookBub promos. So I've bumped The Grid. It only got submitted twice, but I don't mind because obviously The Secret Bunker is, at the time of recording this, is in the middle of a BookBub promo, or certainly the aftermath of that. Um, so I kind of did what I said I was going to do with BookBub. And of course, because I got a promo, I'm very happy with that. This is the quarter that I was delisting um, my standalone thrillers. And actually what I did before delisting them is I just left them in KDP Select. And I just ran a couple of quiet promos on them. I, I didn't send any traffic to them. I just made them free or did I try 99 cents? I've, I've forgotten to be honest with you. But on my um, on my board, I wanted to do some KD promos around who to trust, one fatal error and burden of guilt. Now I know that I did update you on the diary with those as I did them, but I'm afraid I've downloaded those files now and they've been archived. So I can't actually remember what I did. Um, but I know I was testing different things with those KD pr promos and I'm sure the results were very profound. <laughs> I've only forgotten what they are, but um, whatever, I, I did that. Another thing I wanted to do in this quarter was I wanted to get my MailChimp and my WordPress books selling again. And I have done that. And I can't remember what made me realise it, but I just thought with both of those books, I'd taken them off because MailChimp, uh, what had happened with that? We'd had GDPR, hadn't we? And WordPress, they were using Gutenberg. And and so I thought, oh, blimey, I'm not going to update these. I can't be bothered. Um, so I, I I didn't update them. The only reason I can't be bothered is because um, when I originally wrote them, they're in Word files. And I hate working with Word and images. And it, you put an extra image in and it screws up all the numbering. Oh, it's horrible. So if I'd written them in Vellum in the first place, I, I might have been tempted to update them. But um, I just can't face the technical side of it. Even the tech side doesn't matter. It's just the technical side of it. Uh, having to line everything up and make a paperback look decent. So... I was lazy with those. And what I realized is after the event, I was probably doing a training or something. And I thought, Joe, if I just insert a page at the beginning of each of these books and say, look, GDPR, it's come and gone. This is what it all boiled down to. Here's some links. I'm not a GDPR expert. That gets the MailChimp back at one, one back in circulation again. And then with the WordPress one, again, I just did a page saying, look, um, Gutenberg's come and gone. I'm still not using it. You don't have to use it until December 2021. My recommendation is just ignore it because it's horrible. And here's how you do that. And so I just managed to insert a page and I've been able to sell both of them again. Now, MailChimp has been doing well. WordPress is not selling. I can't work out why. Um, I've got Amazon ads on it and things like that. But to be honest with you, you know, as you know, I've got too many things on at the moment. So I'm fairly distracted and it doesn't massively bother me. But MailChimp's selling well. Uh, WordPress, I haven't got selling this second time around. Uh, at some point, I might have time to sit down and figure out why that is. It'll be something I'm doing. But um, at the moment, I'm not too fussed. The MailChimp is, is good. Maybe make it about £100 a month, something like that, for the MailChimp books. So for work that I did two years ago, and um, for something I just had to update with a page, I, I'm quite happy with that. It's just bringing in a little chug of income. The other thing I wanted to do in this quarter of the year was to go through so many lies. I wanted to do my edits, then pass it to Helen Fazar for a proper edit, a paid edit. And then obviously I looked at it again, Helen looked at it again, and I've sent it to Beta Readers for a final check. And so that book's good to be ready to release. And I wrote that book a year ago. Um, but, you know, it's still fresh. It's not dated in any way. And a book's only old if you've read it before. It's not when you're a first time reader. So I've worked all the way through so many lies twice now. It's gone to Helen. It's been edited and it's pretty well ready to release and it will form part of my rapid release strategy later on in the year. And so finally, 
Um, I also wanted to edit Left for Dead. So Left for Dead is the 75,000 word book that I wrote in this quarter. So I've edited that now. That's had my first edit on it. And that is, I even forget where it is. Where is it? It's with beta readers at the moment. I think that's right. Uh, is it with beta readers? No, it's gone to selected beta readers, that. So at the moment, it's gone to my wife. Judy Cordoner is taking a look at it. And I have sent it to a couple of beta readers who are such good beta readers. They've gone through so many lies twice and they're ready to take something else on board. So that's where I am with Left for Dead. So it hasn't broadly gone to beta readers, but it's gone to Judy Cordner, who's doing her sort of demo edit on it at the moment. It's gone to my wife who hasn't read it yet, which is unusual uh, because normally she reads as I go along. This one I said to her, just wait till I finished it and read it when I've done my edit on it. Um, and it's out with two or three beta readers, probably three actually, because I got one back from a gentleman this week. Now, this gentleman uh, tends not to give me a detailed read. I think he just reads it really for the story. I got some nice, lovely feedback from him from it, said it was a great book. He couldn't put it down, um, but he doesn't give me any detailed feedback where I've sent it to a couple of the ladies now who I know would give me really, really super detailed feedback. Um, so it's nice to get that first plot response to it. Um, again from a guy because I feel that most of my readers are probably uh, ladies um, but it's good to get a bloke's response to it to say that he liked it um, so I do have a lot going on at the moment I probably need to get a little bit organized a bit better organized with my beta readers but um, uh, you know whatever it's going out it's getting feedback everything's chugging along I'm sure by the time we finished all this rapid release I'll have a whole kind of blueprint on how to do it better next time so that's pretty well it for my quarter two goals. Um, everything by Sunday, by the end of this month, is going to have a tick next to it. So you'll see the board uh, as it stood when I took the photograph. I've actually erased the board now and I've put my July to September quarter three goals up and the outline goals for quarter four. So I, I generally working several quarters in advance. And obviously quarter three now is perfectly detail. I've, I know exactly what I'm doing in quarter three now. I've got a load of sketched, I've got a sketched outline for quarter four, which is pretty well, probably as it's going to be. And I'm also beginning to put notes in for quarter one. Well, I won't show you those because there's not a lot of point showing you those. They're working models. But next week, I will go through my quarter three objectives and let you know what I'm hoping to write this month. And I can tell you, here's a spoiler alert. There's a lot of writing getting done in the next quarter and it needs to get done because I got some tight deadlines. So that is it then. Thank you very much for listening to my quarter two goals. It didn't add too much on actually to the audio, so I'm pleased about that. It isn't too unwieldy. But just a reminder before I go that I have an interview episode on Monday, Monday the 1st of July. That'll be dropping into the feed uh, first thing in the morning. And I'm going to be chatting to first-time indie author and the host of the new author podcast, Jerry Evanoff. Jerry's going to be talking us through his full launch strategy for a first-time book launch. And he's using all the stuff that you need to know for best practice. So that's coming up on Monday. And I will have another diary update for you next Saturday, along with my quarter three objectives. In the meantime, have a fabulous week of writing. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.